Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Um, welcome to leg 10 of If I Knew Then What I Know Now. Very much looking forward to uh, this next session, this next conversation. Um, we've got a great opportunity to finish on uh, something of a high on a Friday, so really looking forward to that. Um, and uh, we are going to be joined in a moment by Tracy Lynch, who heads up uh, the Greggs Foundation. Um, so uh, we are building on uh, seeing Nathan last week. Welcome, Tracy. Good to see you. Uh, we are now into leg 10 of If I Knew Then What I Know Now podcast and uh, very exciting to welcome you. Um, where, whereabouts in the country are we welcoming you from, uh, Tracy? You are... Um seeing me from sunny gateshead right on the quayside in up in the northeast it's not sunny ah but a beautiful <laughs> beautiful part of the world nonetheless it is a beautiful part of the world and i've only lived here two weeks so during all of this weird and wonderful change i managed to move 200 miles up up the country as well ah fantastic so well i, I guess there could be some very sort of recent reflection of if i knew then what i know now given <laughs> would i have sold my house <laughs> We'll get into that as we go through. So uh, uh, that's great. And yeah, as I've said in the introduction, Tracy heads up uh, Greg's Foundation. So we'll talk, I'll, I'll get a little bit of detail about that uh, from you in a moment, Tracy. And then we'll kind of move into the, the conversation about if I knew then what I know now. Uh, but, you know, really delighted to have had the handover from Nathan last week and obviously the great work that he's doing on Rethink Food and potentially a little bit of a connection, I guess, to, to, the, to the work that you do at the Greggs Foundation. So uh, before we dive in, can you tell us about the Greggs Foundation? I guess we all know about Greggs, but yeah, maybe you see, this know is, about the Greggs Foundation. Indeed, this is Greggs' best kept secret. Uh, so Greggs has had this foundation for over 30 years. Okay. Um, and long before it was a foundation, uh, Greggs was a very, very philanthropic company. Um, and it's an eight, 80 years old, started up here in the Northeast. Um, and would have been providing pie and pea suppers to the elderly in the early days, always made small grants to different people that were in need. Um, and then over the years has become, as the business became a PLC, mm -hmm. uh, floated on the stock market, we were given a gift of shares, which uh, generates an income for us. Um, plus Greg's gives us 1% of pre-tax profits, plus we have some products on sale that generates us an income as well. So. Um, we run alongside the business, we're obviously independent because we're a charity, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, done loads of great work. One of our biggest programmes, which is where the connection with Nathan came, is around breakfast clubs. So we support children, uh, about 36,000 children every school morning get a free breakfast mm -hmm. through our programme across the country. Um, so that's not just here in the North East, that's uh, nationwide, including the North, uh, Northern Ireland. So uh, huge program and like I say because we had a similar um, vision around um, poverty um, food insecurity that's how I eventually met up with Nathan great great and that really, really to take the baton on yes yeah great to have that connection as well and 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 um, you know from the the Greg's perspective as well like you know you you say it's a best kept secret but I guess it's a pretty important part of the the story of Greg's as well is it, it is it um and and Half of me loves that the fact that we're so humble and we don't shout about it. About it, half of me wants to wring their neck and say, you know, we should be, you know, we should be telling more people about it. But it is a humble business. It, it, 
makes its money on sausage rolls and jam donuts. Not always the best story, is it? So um, it does lots of great work, though, and it and its um, offer to customers is, you know, I think 40% within a healthy range now. So there's lots of great stuff goes on in the business. Um, but yeah, it's lovely to have a work alongside a business that genuinely does the right stuff for the right reasons, not because it wants to tell a story. Right. Okay. And, and is, is that for, would you say that's true for the people who work for Greg's as well as obviously for the people who are benefiting from the foundations? Is it do, doing the right thing has been part of the story for Greg's as well for the... For yeah, the, I think so. I've been with them 25 years. Oh, okay. Lots and lots of people with long service, you know, it's one of those businesses that you, if you're here five years, you're here till you retire. Um, you know, you either love it because although it is a big business now, you know, it's a huge business, 22,000 employees. Mm -hmm. um, it still feels like a family business. Um, I started our shop girl. So if, you know, if you work hard, it's a business that, that leads you through and, and pulls you through. Great. No, no, no. Really, really good to hear that as well. So and, you know, I guess we'll find out a little bit more of the story from, you know, kind of working in the shop through to through to this position as, as, as we do some reflection. Um, but I guess, I guess you just said as well that you've moved during lockdown and sort of, you know, how, how how's things been for you just generally in your role managing the foundation? How's lockdown been? Is it kind of, you know, changed anything? It doesn't make any difference when you're indoors, does it really? You know, when you're indoors and looking at a screen, it doesn't really matter where you are, which is the irony of all of it, really, in that, um, you know, I've moved 200 miles to be nearer where I worked and I'm still in a, you know, in a spare bedroom um, talking down a screen. Um, although I did take some time this week to go out and meet a couple in, you know, along the beach and just enjoy a bit of, you know, chit chat. Because I think out of, although we've we've managed, we've carried on working and we've worked harder because there's been more needs. So we really had to batten down and learn. I was used to traveling and working from home, but not all the team were. Some of the team were just office based. And so that's been a bit of a quick learning curve. Uh, some of our processes didn't fit with us working remotely. So we had to learn how to do that quickly. Um, so yeah, it, it has been, it's been challenging, but I would say we're probably stronger for it. Um, I think we communicate better because we think we have to. You make a presumption, don't you, when you all work in the office that you yeah. want everything. Um, where in actual fact, you probably don't. You might just, the two people near you might have known it and then somebody wasn't there. So I think actually now, because you make the effort to think, I've got to inform people of this, make sure this has gone down the line. Yeah. Um, that we're probably better informed and feel that we're all working better as a team. Yes. Yeah. Kind of avoiding the assumptions that, well, ever, you know, that the, the Chinese whispers have worked and the grapevines been sort of yes. you know, on, on yeah. full power and therefore everyone knows stuff. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that's that's interesting just in terms of what we're learning about kind of being inclusive when when we can't actually sort of rely on a lot of stuff. And I think I think that's been, been a, a lesson that you know a lot of people have been talking about as well so no so it's obviously been a bit of a transition for you as well during this time as well but if we kind of hit the pause button and then think about if I knew then what I know now so when when you kind of got the brief and when Nathan handed over where, where did your your head first go to when it was if yeah, I knew then, what I know now yeah it's an interesting one really because I am you know you have a half full and a half empty person I'm just about overflowing you right. know I I see opportunity and everything I I'm not really reflective either so mm -hmm. when the question was asked I was thinking well I'm not really sure because I don't think I would 
I wouldn't have told myself anything because I'm what I am now because of what I've done. Yeah. Um, so it was an interesting one. Then I'd, anything, God, am I that arrogant that I couldn't have actually said Tracy would have been better off turning left instead of right? But I think that is just kind of the way I am. And because I wasn't on a, you know, certainly now I've listened to some of the other podcasts, some of the other people that have spoken. I was never on a path. Hmm. I didn't have a big plan. Didn't really have a what I thought at the time a purpose or a direction. You know, I was just busy and I, I worked hard and I often moved and was promoted because I did. I, I I worked hard and whatever I was doing, and it didn't matter what I was doing, I'd get involved in it and I would probably be one of those people that would go the extra mile. You know, I would, oh, what are you doing over there? I'll help you with that. You know, I was a but I didn't have a path, so it was difficult yeah. to know. But the more I thought about it, the more I did think there was a time in my life that I got an opportunity that that did find me a purpose. And so, mm-hmm. so I guess that's probably where I would sort of focus that maybe recognising that in yourself earlier on would have been useful. Because um, I was 47 when I recognised it, you know. Yeah. So I probably could have made a bigger difference in my life if I found it 20 years previously. Yeah. So, so the purpose, say a little bit more about the purpose then. How, how did that kind of come about? The real, so you, you, you know, at some point you found there was a purpose and, and yes. what, what kind of led to that? Um, so in 2012, and I'd been with Greg 16, 17 years, they're always in retail roles, various different roles. And I'd always supported the foundation and was always involved. But if I'm honest, Chris, I think it was often because I liked the distraction of my normal job. So it was I was doing something else other than, you know, perhaps my normal job. I didn't know why I did, but I had. Mm. And I was invited to a meeting where somebody came and spoke about a business connector role. And they were actually inviting senior managers, people in grades higher than where I was sat at that point. Um, And I was thinking... God, I'd love to do that. That'd be really, I didn't say a word, just thought that'd be interesting. Let the meeting finish and go. And then a couple of the senior guys came over to me and said, bloody hell, Tracy, you know, that's got your name written all over it. Mm-hmm. I, I then thought, well, if they see that in me and I'm thinking that, then maybe I should say something. Yeah. Um, so then had to go and follow that up, said, you know, would I be considered? Would, you know, would you consider that? Um, and I did. I was, I was given the opportunity and the business connector role effectively was working with BITC. You were taken out of your job, seconded for a year and dropped into an area of need. Um, and the area for me was Coventry. So I was effectively sent to Coventry, but that was where I grew up in an area that I knew. Um, and then you are put in there and you try to get local business, local authority to work on what is that need in that area and make a difference. Mm-hmm. It's very place-based. It's about somebody being on the ground, just connecting the dots. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I was good at it. You know, I was good at it. I, I like a chat. I mm-hmm. like to listen. I, you know, I'm interested in other people's lives. And it was something that I found that I was able to do. Um, and so I loved it. Um, and it does challenge you. It, it challenges it challenged me in ways that I hadn't really thought about before and at the time I thought it was developing new skills but I think in hindsight when I've thought about it they were just skills that you you don't always use in a normal place of work Um, and I think that's because when you're in 
a business or an organization you all have a common goal because you follow the strategy you know you're following mm -hmm. that business's strategy and although you'll have different values and different views you there's a common goal when you're dropped into a community and you've got local authority the police schools different ethnic groups everybody's got an own agenda they've completely got their own agenda and actually i'm there for, for no reason at all you know i'm just suddenly appeared um, and, and you have to learn how to influence without any managerial position, without any reason for it. And, and that's quite a, a skill that I had to hone. And I think it came from that I'm, I don't have a filter, my girls always right. say to me. So <laughs> I don't mind asking that ridiculous question is why would we do that? And mm -hmm. probably sometimes quite disruptive and quite agitating. But I think if it's done, from the right, from a positive energy, that's that's quite good. If it's done negatively, why are you all doing that? That's rubbish. Nobody's interested in your yeah. opinion. Yeah, I? yeah, and, and it's getting getting me thinking as you're talking around. You know, do people realise early the value of soft skills? But as the phrase goes, the soft skills are the hard skills. Just because they're soft skills doesn't mean they don't have value. Just because they're soft skills doesn't mean that they're not developable or important. And, you know, and that, that feels like that's coming out quite a lot from what you're saying about, you know, actually you hadn't realised the value of some of those soft skills that were naturally there, but also developed when given the opportunity and the yeah. space to step into them. Yeah, I, th I think that's exactly right. I think I had always been a people person and I didn't, I think when you're growing up and as you're going through life, you're looking for a trade or a... Mm -hmm a specialist subject and I don't think I ever had that I don't think that probably ever was in me I think I always was that people person and that and it was those soft that was my skill um and it's interesting because like you say you, do, you don't start from that point um and I guess what I've, I've thought about while you know thinking about the question well is that we put too much pressure, don't we, on, on what we're going to be. I, at the Breakfast Club programme, I will go in and out of schools chatting to primary school children. And one of my opening questions at a breakfast table is, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, I mean, what six or seven-year-old is ever going to tell me? And why would we put pressure on children to, to actually think about that? Yes, I think, you know, there is a guidance, and a, but equally, how do you know? And maybe you need to develop to see what what kind of human being you're going to be to actually make some of those assumptions yes yeah and, and maybe the question is what do you think you'll enjoy doing rather than what you're going to be as well because i, I you know i kind of think that's the you know there, there is a there's, there's a there's a closed question there in as much as it needs to be a job rather than what do you think you'll yeah. enjoy doing and where might your calling be again you know we used the phrase last week a, a vocation a calling um you know and, and again that sounds really important here to, you know and it was you know i i think what i discovered was when i enjoyed supporting the foundation and doing other bits previously it wasn't just because i liked getting dressed up and acting the fool it was actually because i had this social conscience that had been itching away that i wanted to do more than just sell sausage rolls or do more. And I, and I absolutely see the benefit in, in yeah. all of those things. You know, I, I am quite a commercial person. I absolutely see the benefit of why things have to be successful. 
but not at all costs. Yeah. Um, and then that, that penny dropped, you know, and it was a, a, a moment in time when I suddenly thought, that's, that's it, that's your strength, that's your passion, that's where you, you need to go. But I had to go back to work. I had to go back after 12 months. I had to go back into my role. Um, and that was difficult. I was mm-hmm. disruptive when I went back into work um, and probably not in a positive way always because I think I, you know, I would be in meetings about commercial decisions and be saying, yeah, but what about the poor people? What about the people that are hungry? You know, and it'd be like, you know, not now, Trace, you know, I, we understand what you're saying, but probably not today. Yeah. Um, and so I, I struggled a bit and I took a, another couple of secondments, but within Greg. So I tried another couple of roles and I did get into a sort of senior retail role, which I was enjoying. And then this one came up and I had to go to my boss and say, I'm sorry, I know I've only just come into this. But that was the job I was waiting for for 20 years. You know, that's the thing that I've been looking for. Um, and it was great. You know, like I say, Greg's have always been supportive and, you know, like, let's see where we can go. And I was able to manoeuvre into this role. And it's a, just the right role for me because I think had I, and I did consider it, do I leave Greg's and go into the charitable sector? Mm-hmm. And I think I might have struggled with that. Um, because the charitable sector can sometimes be quite fluffy um, and not as, you know, strategic and and planned. And because I'd had so many years in a business where all of that existed, I think had I just gone into the charity sector, I might have lost my way a bit, whereas actually being part of a a corporate Mm -hmm. made a lot easier the problem for us was we weren't aligned to the business when I started we'd we'd become so independent we drifted away we were too doing our own thing so that's been some of what I've been driving in the few years that I've been with them to try and have a have a shared message because exactly as you say why do you not know it's because they don't really know what to say about us yeah 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 I guess guess that's good Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm interested in terms of you know you you reflecting on the finding purpose bit do you do you reflect back now and think about earlier roles that you had and the way in which you went about them that might have been a a little bit different that may, that meant that you stood out you know in a different way which allowed you to develop does it does it help you kind of you know post rationalize some of, yeah, some of the reasons I, th- I think it I think it does I think um Yes, I think in previous roles, the reason I'd had opportunity was because I had this slightly different vision of the world, perhaps to somebody, to a lot of people. And it's not because I can't comply, mm-hmm. but I, I do always think that when I hear something that, you know, maybe we could just try that differently because we could, we could make a difference here. Like I say, it is about being successful but not at the cost of everything around you I think that's the the real value that sits inside me which is why I think I do work well within Greg's I think Greg's does have that value as well yeah yeah and and you know I, I think there's been the theme one of the themes through the podcast is kind of growing confidence in who you are and how you are and and you know not necessarily needing to be like other people in order to be successful and you know there's, a, there's an interesting balancing that seems to go on there for a lot of the people that I've talked to um, yeah where, where previously it was I need to be like rather than you know I actually need to like me and be more like me and and enjoy the value of that yeah and I, I you know it's um 
I am very much that I, I want to be liked. In fact, I think I am. You know, if you were to do a, you know, a, a spectrum on it, and that, I would fall in that I need to be liked. But mm. I don't need to be liked because of who I am, but of the actions that I take in life. That's what I need to be liked about, is that people, you know, respect the, the choices that I make and the direction in which I move around the world, you know, and do my thing. I don't necessarily need people so, you know, Tracy's great. You know, yeah. I had to smile when Nathan said she's a character. I, think, I don't know how many times people say that. You know, and I'm not sure what that means. I must look up what it means in a dictionary because uh, but I, I don't necessarily need to be liked, but I do... I, I wouldn't like, I don't mind making a ripple because if that ripple makes a difference, that that's absolutely fine by me. Um, but I, I I wouldn't like to leave disgruntled people around me because yeah. I don't know what the benefit of that is. I, I couldn't see any benefit in that really. Yeah, that, that makes me think of two things because the word disgruntled gets used a lot, but no one ever uses the word gruntled, do they? But anyway, so I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't know what you know, they were really gruntled with my point. So they never, never use that, but um, you know, the, is a, is a character, I, I think means, you know, um, has character he, and, he, and he's clearly and consistently comfortable being the character they are. That, yeah. that, that's, a lot, that's a lot of what I sort of read into that, again, which comes back to that confidence in your own skin and kind of go, you know, I know the value I bring by being me. And, and yes. I want to carry on And I think it. that comes with age. You know, I'm no spring chicken anymore. And I don't think you, um, I think as you get older, you've, it's not that I don't care what people think. That isn't my, you know, mm. view. I think I I do know. I understand myself. I know my flaws. You know, if you want something finishing, you're prob probably coming to the wrong girl. If you want something starting, I'm definitely your girl. What I've learned to do over the years is make sure that whatever team I work in, there's people with me that can help me get to that finishing line because I love new and shiny and oh it's this is exciting let's get going and I can really help that process but we'll be two weeks into it and I've moved on to the next new and shiny you know it's uh but I know that in myself and I've learned to like I say work out either I get people to help me with that or I have to be incredibly disciplined and say you just you've got to stay here now because it you know this situation has driven that a little bit mm. um because you can't just slide a piece of paper over to somebody across a desk, can you? And say, could you just wrap that up for me now? You know, I, yeah, I need, yeah. so in some ways, you know, this has, this whole situation has helped me work because I did travel a lot as well. And I spent a lot of time racing and I, I would probably spend more time getting somewhere than I would be doing what I'd got to do when I got there. And then that you almost get used to that as yeah. that, how I work um and I would try and work on trains and I would do so but it's difficult isn't it to get your laptop out and do anything and actually that isn't always what I was doing you know my work is about networking with people and driving that vision and who do we need to help us get somewhere um so I think this has made me think about how I would how I will work and it has made me have to sit down and be a bit bit more of a completer finisher although I'm never going to really tick that box if I'm honest yeah yeah and, and I, but I, I think that that's increasingly some of the mindset that you know where you see a lot of self-acceptance kind of I know I know what I'm good at and I know the stuff that I'm not so good at it doesn't mean that I relinquish all responsibility to kind of go 
I, I don't need to be good at that. You know, there's that sense of, well, you know, what, what improvement can I make? And I guess, you know, as, as, as you were talking there as well, I was thinking about the, the whole self-acceptance piece and kind of being comfortable in your own skin and going through that process and thinking about, you know, the importance of people being able to sort of seek self-acceptance earlier. But it doesn't mean that I think I'm finished. And I think that's, no. what, I think that's what people worry about. Yeah. If, if, I, if I do, if I accept myself too much, does it mean that I stop trying to improve? And I, and I think that's a worry that most people don't need to have because um, it's still a continuation. There's still that desire to kind of do the next thing, but just being more comfortable in who you are and how you are. Yes, I, I, I would absolutely agree with that. I think it's uh, something that, you know, I am still the same human being that I was when I was a 16-hour shop girl. I just have more life experience, more understanding of, myself and probably a wider vision of the world just because of, of life and the, but it, nothing really in fact I still think I am 18 Chris most of the time you know I'm rudely awakened when I see myself in the mirror every morning because like I say I still have that I think most people do don't they you have a period in your life where that's where you are and I've mm -hmm. kind of you know I, I don't think of myself as particularly getting older yeah no, no, I don't. Yeah, I think I think we're all in denial of our mortality <laughs> level, aren't we? So, uh, yeah, which is key. And, and you know, sort of the keeps keeps coming back to purpose for me as well, and this importance of purpose. Has has that helped you lead the foundation in a particular way, and lead the people who you lead in the foundation in a particular way? Given that you know, real sense of connection for purpose with you for you personally. Yeah, absolutely. So I think when um, when I first joined the foundation, I said it had already been going 15, no, 25 years. Mm -hmm. I've done a sterling job, you know, always had been great. When I asked the team, how do we know if we've done a good job? I was told, um, well, you know, as long as the money's gone through, we've awarded or funded all the organisations that we need to, and we've been nice. And I remember, you know, it was like, oh, you know, that's an interesting KPI. You know, we've been, we've been nice. Um, and so then from then on, I kind of kept thinking we, we need to have a real, you know, shared vision and a, a reason for all being here. Um, and then we had to work with the trustees because the trustees were happy with that as well, which mm -hmm. was interesting. So it, this is, is an interesting role for me as well, because I'd never had two, two bosses as such. So I have a, a line manager within Greg's and then I report into a board. Yeah. Um, so that was an interesting learning curve for me. Um, and like I said the board of trustees were quite comfortable with you know the way we were progressing because we were we were doing a good job and we kind of drove towards let's have a strategy and really think about why we're here and then mm -hmm. we came up with building healthier stronger communities which is a you know an open purpose doesn't but then we've been going right how would we know that then yeah how would we absolutely know we've done that then because you know am I going to see bigger buildings am I going to see everybody looking really buff you know, how do we know we're actually delivering that? So we've spent sort of the last 12 months working on a framework of how we measure that and what does that look like in impact? And then and then are we actually delivering? And then we can keep reviewing that. And then we we talk everything we talk about is around that impact framework so that we even what we're doing as a team, are we delivering into that? Have we made a difference? And, and that's hugely beneficial to everybody, I think. At first, it was all a bit mumbo-jumbo, really. I don't know what Trace is on about. But, you know, we've, we've got it now, and it does work. Yeah, and, and, and you know, there's, there's so much work that we do 
with teams around that kind of creating a, a real sense of behaving your way towards the purpose. That there's the purpose, but what am I actually going to do today? And what's the evidence that that will start to sort of build in place? You know, count, are, are we closer to building the healthier communities at the end of this week than we were at the beginning? If so, what did we actually do? And, you know, which thing on the scoreboard that we've created has changed? And I, it's really interesting to hear you saying that in terms of... Oh, that'll be interesting, then, because that's something, really, that over the next 12 months, we want to look at each other as a team and say, well, what bit do yeah. I do in that? Because we, we've talked about it, but we kind of talk about it in the programmes and the physical activities, as opposed to, you know, my bit is probably the vision. That's it. It's as simple as that. That's probably yeah. my purpose, and it might not be. But like you say, it's a rough off the top of my head there. But like you say, if you then start to say, well, what's your bit then? But if I was to ask somebody in the team now, they'd probably say, I make the payments, I do the... And it's slightly moving. So we, we want to try and work on that then over the next 12 months, actually, because I and for some people, maybe they don't need it. Maybe it's just because it's important to me that I need to know what bit am I doing in all of this? But if it is important to somebody, it's good to get it out of them. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely from, from a motivation point of view, different people have different motivational styles. So, you know, we you can't do one thing that speaks to everybody, but if we do a series of things, we give the opportunity to kind of speak, you know, to get everyone having a starting point of engaging with why we're here. Mm. For some people, the why we're here is enough, but for some other yes. people, they actually yeah. like to see, actually, I, I like to see progress. Kind of, you know, have we have we actually made a difference? So you can, you, you can really structure that in a way where you maximize the chances of everyone having something that speaks to their motivation. And, and, and that, you know, the stuff you're talking about is really exciting to hear that, you know, not only have you got the passion and the purpose, but you're actually sort of going, but where's the impact? Where's the evidence? And, and I think what's, you know, coming from, coming from the world of sport and, and having spent so long in there, there's a scoreboard. A scoreboard exists because you're trying to make it say what you want it to say. Yes. You're not kind of looking at it, kind of going, I wonder how, I wonder how it's going. Oh, isn't, that's interesting. You know, you, you, the scoreboard is there because you do stuff to change it. And there's so much stuff in the commercial world where people look like they're fascinated observers of the latest update rather than kind of go, <laughs> you know, you stuff deliberately to make that happen. How, yeah. how, how concrete is that? So I, I don't know if that sort of sets any thoughts off for you in terms of no, you know, I, I think it, doing well. Yeah, I think it, it absolutely is. Like you say, it's a, you know, change is, is difficult, isn't it? And I think real change isn't easy. And I think when people go, you know, if it's if it was easy, it's probably not been a real change. You've probably just, you know, turned slightly left, haven't you, you know? Um, so I don't think it's anything you can do quickly. And what we're trying to do is not change what the, the foundation stands for. It's just more about how we... If you're going to be in a situation where we are, where we award over three million pounds out a year, you, that needs to you need to know that that's making a difference, because you know we base all of what we do around around poverty and inequality that poverty brings, and so I want to know at some point that we, we're helping bridge that gap between the haves and have-nots, mm -hmm. not just we felt better that we'd done something, you know, it. I need to be able to see that. And I think, you know, unfortunately for my team, I shan't retire until I start to see that. Yeah. Because I, I, I think, 
There's a goal. There's a goal for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps let's, let's not release that bit because uh, they say it is. I think I, I would like to think that by the time you know I, I hang me hat up that actually I did. I started to help close that gap, and we can't do it alone. But when we're in a position to have really good data, a really good story to tell, I join forces with somebody else that you know. You start to talk with other people, and then you know joint voices everybody working together and making the same noise makes a, a huge difference you know it's we we should be embarrassed really that we've had a breakfast club program going for 20 years we shouldn't be in this country having to provide children with a breakfast because nobody out you know because the, the families can't mm. to feed the children you know and we've been doing that for 20 years now it's good we're doing it but really the the best thing that could happen to a charity that supports social issues is we go out of work because those social issues have been addressed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you know, I think there's uh, while while the calling is strong and the opportunity to make the difference is there, then 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 kind of the passion keeps burning bright, doesn't it? As as you were talking, I was wondering, you know, you said a couple of things about sort of getting the you know providing the meaning for more and more people through the foundation you know and it made me think actually had you not taken over i wonder what things wouldn't have happened that are now very clearly present in the foundation because you are in the role that you're in and you can ask the same question of everyone had you mm. not been in here what things wouldn't have happened that are really important to the direction of travel that we're in to, to sort of try and bring that sense of personal contribution as well as meaning to the you know to the fore I think there's that's always an interesting question but as, as you were talking as well I was kind of wondering I wonder what you're not doing anymore that you're not missing that had you known that earlier in order to be able to drop it it would it, would have, it would have been it said you know what what don't you do anymore that you know used to be part of the mix that you don't miss or is there stuff you you used to do the actually actually I don't do that anymore maybe that's a bit of an energy difference for me and, and something that might make a difference mm, yeah it's an interesting question really Chris I think probably the one thing I don't do anymore and I probably didn't do massive amount but I would I would overthink things that had happened they'd happened right and I'd, I'd go back over them and back over them and think, well, if I if I had, you know, and I could have. And, and it's a bit like that. And, and that's why 2012 is quite that. I sat there and let somebody tell me about the job that had got my name written all over it and didn't raise my hand. And I probably had done that several times in my life mm. and hadn't thought, well, I should at least ask. I know they said it was a grade C or a ball, but maybe I should just ask. But I didn't. And then, so I, I think, and, but I would replay, replay that in my mind over and over again, but I wouldn't ever tell myself what the solution was. Yeah. I'd worry, you'd just think I'd done it. You know, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. You know, I should have said, should have said. But I think I probably what probably had come to those crossroads several times in my career and hadn't seen them before. And all it needed on that day was somebody else to say, but that's that's you, Trace. That's what you want to do. Yeah. And the moment somebody else could see it, I thought, oh, perhaps that's that's right. That is what I want to do. If they can see it in me, then it must be here. You know, it yeah. must be here in me. 
Yeah, and I so see. I see. I think that's some of the double-edged sword of personality traits. So your your desire to be valued and appreciated for the impact that you've got means that actually how others perceive you is important. But by the same token, you would never want to do something that would have people perceive you saying, "Well, she's a bit above her station." That's a bit, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so that that's where you kind of get some of that conflict where you're desperate to kind of get the positive regard but really careful not to do anything that might damage it. And I, that, I think that describes that kind of stuff beautifully. That I know a lot of people experience that kind of... Yeah, I, I have imposter syndrome, dreadful. So because I've come from the retail sector and then into this role, I apologise for that all the bloody time, you know. Mm. I'll be in a charitable meeting of, oh, and I say, you know, well, I've, I've only been doing... I'm not really from the charity sector. And yet people look to me as an expert, you know, and then... I th- and it's a difficult one to balance, isn't it? Because if they look at me like that, then then I need to look back. Because especially if you don't within your own team demonstrate that, because then people, is, is she with us? Or so yeah. I had to really work on that. Probably in the last twelve months, I've really kind of got. I, I can't say I've got my head around it because I still think I am a bit of an imposter. But I've laid it to rest and just. Yeah. Other people don't see that. That's just your issue, Trace. You know, nobody else is thinking that. Yeah. Well, the, 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 cl- the classic stuff for me from imposter syndrome is around, you know, that's all to do with the standards that you've set for yourself and the expectations that you've got around what you should look like, which you haven't actually checked in with anyone else as to whether they've got the same scorecard. Um, so we can't, you know, and, and actually people with imposter syndrome usually have very high expectations for themselves all of the time. So they're never satisfied that they're good enough. <laughs> Whereas other other people typically kind of be they're doing a great job. They're they're hitting the mark, no problem whatsoever. So so I see it as a really powerful driver. It's just not a particularly uncomfortable relationship with yourself when you mm. never quite feel you're good enough. But if you weren't like that, you wouldn't have that kind of healthy paranoia that's pushing you to keep going. Um, so it's, and it it's is interesting, interesting because I raised it within an internal. Uh, meeting sort of a development meeting probably 12 months ago and when I said it out loud everybody just looked and said that's absolutely I've never seen anybody that's more fit for a job than you are Trace and you think isn't that interesting and it was probably actually after that point that I just thought let it go stop wittering on about it stop although I am now talking about it again you know don't tell everybody you're thinking about because you just underpin your, undermine yourself don't you with that really it's it's a vicious circle that way yeah. you're telling people what you're thinking and they don't need to know yeah and that, that's why I just I look at it as a, as a quality that a lot of successful people have it's just the sort of uncomfortable version of never being satisfied that I'm good enough which results in me pushing myself learning stuff you know keeping moving forward but it's just an uncomfortable fear of not being good enough that drives you forward mm-hmm. um but the important thing is you drive forward and you get better and you improve. And then typically you raise the bar. You go, well, I need to be that much better. Yeah. I need to be that that was all right today. But, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I've got away with it today. This is really the standard. I was kidding myself that that was yeah. kind of good enough. On, on, the, on the performance room, there's a, there's a webinar on about perfectionism, failure and confidence. And the kind of the, you know, the, the rebalancing some of those qualities to enjoy the fact that you possess them rather than kind of beat yourself up for, you know, having been a perfectionist and sort of having a fear of failure. Um, Those are perfectly healthy and usable personality traits. Yeah. Kind of have the the same acceptance that you had around purpose. 
kind of you know and, and the growth and understanding acceptance that okay that there's some really good stuff there you know mm -hmm. if, if i wasn't like that i wouldn't be like this um yeah it's just not always comfortable um <laughs> which is interesting so I, I was i was thinking earlier as well about you know when you were saying that desire to be kind of valued and appreciated for the stuff that you've you've you've, you've added does that does that also help you lead in a certain way? Do you lead other people looking for helping them identify the value that they bring? Or do you sort of see different people wanting different things that you're leading? Yeah, no, I think I think I would have I would hope that that's how I I manage. Um, I've always worked on that theory. Somebody's got a, a caller there. Um, I've always worked on knowing people that I that work with me yeah actually then I can I know what makes them tick I, I haven't got a this is my this is my style you're all coming with me I think sometimes some of my failure would be that I'm incredibly enthusiastic about anything and it can be anything I mean the most mundane thing that I'll suddenly think god that's brilliant and often I'm off running and I presume everybody else is as enthusiastic about me. And then I'll look back and think, they all just think that's mad, you know, and I'll have to stop and, and try and either bring someone with me or accept that actually they were right. It, it wasn't worth getting enthusiastic about. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to think that I've always managed at a, le at a level with people that they're, they're all human. They've all got a life. They've all got values that are important to them and to understand those and they don't I say, although it is important to me they don't have to necessarily have the same viewpoint as me as long as I understand that viewpoint and I feel that it, you know that they want to get to the same place as I do that they they want to get there it isn't just about um being the best or just you know look at me it is about that we're you know we're in a team we're trying to get someone we're trying to make a difference and we're all going to contribute to that in some way so yeah. i hope i do like you say you'd have to ask others really probably yeah yeah I, I, yeah it's, in, it's interesting you know given given the opportunity to create purpose and meaning in the current role particularly when we hear so much at the moment that more and more people are looking for purpose and meaning in their in their lives and in their work you know, actually, well, what's the purpose of our organization? This is how you can make a difference here. Does that feel like that meets some of the things that are important to you? And sort of looking to kind of, you know, more explicitly make the fit rather than kind of go, we've got the values on the wall. Yes. You know, work it out for yourself kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly it. It is, it is more about, you know, you're part of this and how does that work in with you? And, and where are you going to be able to add to that for us? And um you know, and, and it isn't, you're right, there isn't an end to it either. You know, I think, again, over the last few weeks with the lockdown, we had our two grown-up daughters come home when it was real lockdown. And actually, I really reconnected with them. For mm -hmm. a, and you know, when you think, because you've got that, we'd all slow down. There was a bit that each night we'd sit and have tea. And because they're grown up now, they're adults. And you're talking, and there's a sudden, so I think... You should you should always keep doing that because yeah. that, that was a lovely period of time and that doesn't mean now that that's it now we're we're back all connected well not that we were disconnected before but I mm. still move on with your life so they were going through uni they were doing all their exciting things we we're all moving about separately but I do think it's it will be it's important that 
at times you just reevaluate because what is really important now may not be important to me in five years time yeah yeah and, and, and i and i guess as well just reflecting upon your enthusiasm for anything and everything given that you know what a lot of organizations seem to have learned in lockdown is the stuff that we used to say wasn't possible absolutely was when we had to you know maybe maybe more people will listen to you more of the time now you're going to go well you know yeah there, there, there is possibility here and it's and it, and it you know why shouldn't we go for it um, yeah i think yeah i mean i you know simple simple things that you just you know everybody could we can all find reasons that were we weren't able to do things weren't we you know we can't do that or we can't you know just simple things we still paid most of our payments out by check we had a million and one reasons for doing that you know and every time I questioned it was because of this because of that you know and then we all rushed off home we couldn't sign checks because we mm. were next to each other and suddenly within a, two weeks we could do back to payments you know we, we we worked out how to do that and, and to put in a process how to do it safely and to get it all um, and it is one of those things that you know really perhaps that was a time where I didn't agitate enough because it didn't necessarily impact me yeah yeah because somebody else is doing a lot of that work so I think well if it doesn't bother me and they're saying if it just seemed daft that we're still sending checks out you know in 2020 um but it is and again you know those sort of things that you we're now in a set I think lots of businesses lots of organizations are now in the frame about what else could I do now because mm. I've just I've just had a little bit of a shake and we have made change. So maybe let's think about other change now, now we're here, you know, and we are, we are trying to think about, you know, looking at some of our processes and is it necessary we go all the way around there? You know, perhaps we could just cut that corner, you know, would it, would it, would it impact anybody by us taking that edge off? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a time, I think, you know, I think lots of people will have found real positives. I mean, there'll be lots of people that have absolutely struggled. Yeah. Um, you know, and people's lives will be devastated if they've lost anybody. But I do think for lots of people, there is positive change in, in what's happened. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Once the certainty of the near future starts to kind of get a little bit more certain, I think I think you, you'll definitely see that. No, it's really really fascinating to to listen to all that, and and I'm I'm just curious to ask a final question, which I haven't asked anyone before. So, but given given what we've just talked about, so if I knew then what I know now, and we've gone through this conversation, given what you you've now reflected on in this conversation, is there anything that you might see yourself doing differently for the next? six weeks or the next six months sort of have it, mm. have it reflected what what might you do now have it knowing what you know from this conversation yeah I think the more I looked at this you know when I was trying to think about you know some of the questions that you might ask and the more I did think that sometimes you become complacent within the challenge that you, you perhaps set other people so I so, so for my role is a lot with trying to get Greg's to help us do things and get involved in things. And, and sometimes they don't battle everything, Tracy, you know, just pick your times. And I still think that's important, but I did think there was a few things and actually it, it drove me whilst thinking about it during the week, you know, our conversation to actually ask a couple of questions of people, which mm -hmm. I wouldn't have done before because I think, you know, that's the comment. You're out for 12 months. You've got to make an impact. When you get into a role and you've been in it a few years, you've made an initial impact. You've got somewhere where you want to go. It's quite easy to 
pace, you know, that pace drops, doesn't it? Yeah. I love yeah. being on Sakom and I did various secondments and I loved doing something for 12 months because I wanted to achieve something in 12 months. You know, it was that you're on a time scale. And I think when you get into a role and then I've been doing it now for five years, if you're not careful, there's this, and it's not, it's not, I don't give a monkeys. It's just, it's just so you, you get, yeah. just take your foot slightly off that gear, don't you, a bit yeah. of the yeah. accelerator. Yeah, it's one of the biggest challenges in, in sort of, you know, continued performance excellence is sort of hitting a reset switch and going again and going again and, you know, and, and, and the energy mentally and physically required to do that. And, you know, the relationships required to do that as well. It's, 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 it's trying to build that in rather than waiting for the world to give us that kind of, you know, that, it is. And I think it, you know, self, you know, just doing a bit of self and it just reminds you of that, doesn't it? Because you're thinking, oh, yeah, I remembered when I did that. And then you're thinking, I don't actually do that that much. <laughs> then I'll just do it. But it's it's putting that in that's timely and appropriate, isn't it? Because like you say, otherwise, if you're not careful, you just spend all day analysing yourself. You don't actually achieve anything except you know, yeah. screw your mind up. Yeah, it makes, makes me think we should sort of sort of instigate some equivalent of work of the MOT for the car. You know, you have to pass the MOT in order to get roadworthy and certificated to kind of get back, you know, get back on the road again. So regular servicing, regular MOT from a performance perspective, are you fit for the next 12 months until we kind of certify yeah. you again as well? So, you know. And I, I, th I think, it, you know, businesses often have them in, but they're often things like PDRs, aren't they? But they're more about... And, and they're usually retrospective, looking yeah. at sort of, you know, let, let's make sense of what you've just done and, and, and explain history together rather than kind of going, yeah. right, you know, let's look forward. Yeah, we want to get there. Are you ready for it? Yeah, yeah, you know that, that that's clear. Uh, no, no, really, really good, really, really thoughtful stuff. Look, we, we could carry on. I know we could, and uh, and uh, I want I want to thank you very much for your time, and also to say thank you for being um, the guest on Leg Ten, which is for the moment the final leg of the podcast relay. So it's been Does great. Does that mean I get to run across the uh, the most and you do? You get you get to go across the finish game. line. Yeah, yeah, you've broken. I cross the finishing line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Given, given we've done 10 weeks, I thought it gets us to the round number. It gets us to where we go. I'm having a holiday next week as well. So it's kind of nice timing to do that. But it's been great to see the journey sort of from Catherine Granger all the way through to you, Tracy. Right, so and it's, it's an honour to be part of that very uh, select relay team. It will go down in fame, this will, within me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, you know, get on, we all get on the performance room and you can kind of see them all lined up as well and get the highlight clips that we create as well. So thank you hugely for everyone that's tuned into these. Thank you, Tracy, for being the last guest. I will be rekindling something. The podcast relay concept will come back to life. Whether it will be if I knew then what I know now, that's up for grabs. We might have a new theme. But uh, I wish you, Tracy, all the best in the new home in Newcastle. Continued success with the foundation and the great work that you're doing there as well. Um, thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for listening. Lovely. Great to be part of it. Enjoy Thanks, the weekend. Chris. Thank you very much. Take care.